You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church Road and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's Pastor Bob with this week's sermon. Okay, Eddie. Yeah, it was the um, cool times in the 70s. I remember it, but it kind of gives me gives me the shivers. Is that all right? I did. You guys did an awesome job, and I'm so glad because you guys presented the gospel. You guys presented our need for Jesus, and and that was evident this morning. When we talk about um, light and and power and darkness and all those kind of things, it reminds us of a couple of things. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about light this morning, the power of light, because you guys talked about that as well and, and sang about it this morning. And I'm just so appreciative that you did that. Um, I want us to, to look at a couple of things because when we think about light, we think about what light means. Well, we think about light, we, we think about it in terms of power. We think about it in terms of knowledge. You know how that works? Somebody said, I, I have a bright idea. I'm, I'm going to take this off because... Yeah, I know. Jillian, would you hold that for me? Thank you, ma'am. Um, we think about light and knowledge. We, we have that picture of somebody that has that bright idea, light bulb on top of the head, and it comes up, right? So we have that. And then, and then the whole idea of light being purity, of something being pure. And we say it's as pure as, as light, and there, there's no mix of darkness in that. Um, but we think of several different things. We think of, of light as a means of communication. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some stuff on the board, and I need your help with it. Okay? All right. So we're going to put this, put the first one, put the first image up, because this is a means of communication. So if we put that up, the next slide, there it is. You know, what is it? Stoplight. Stop is it a go light? Sure it is. When it's green, it's a go light, right? And we, don't, we won't talk about what yellow is because we get all kinds of different ideas about what yellow could be. But it's a, it's a, it controls traffic. So we know when it is green that we're supposed to go. When it's red, we're supposed to stop. When it's yellow, we have a discussion about it. All right? So, so it's a, a means of communication. The, the next part is that we use light to express emotions. Right? Think about that. So here's what we want to do. We're going to put some, some different colors up on the screen, and I want you to tell me what emotion it could be. All right? So let's put the very, what about that one? Happiness. Good, good. So yellow could be happy. What's the, the next one? Sadness. Yeah. Or, or maybe, maybe the idea of being calm. Just kind of. Kind of chill, right? Okay. The third one. Mad or hot or anger. Yeah. So so we we express we express emotions sometimes through light. 
and how light looks. Well, when we look at, look at Scripture, we understand something about God and what, what He has in mind for us. And He gives us this, this passage that talks about light. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if we were to say God is light and there's no darkness, it means that, that everything about God is light. And so if you were to look at God, you would say there's not a speck of darkness in there whatsoever. It's pure. It's that purity idea. And so God is light. There's no mix of darkness. John says this, and listen to this, because I think you guys talked about this a little bit in what you did earlier. It says in John, the Gospel of John, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, hear this, and the life was the light of men. So we go back to that idea of God is light. And so John talked about it in the first chapter. And so the first thing I want us to understand is that God is light. God is light. And it's a, about Jesus. John 1.9 says this about him. It says, There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And so the question is, what does, what does this one that came into the world, this Jesus, what does he enlighten about? What is that all about? He enlightens every man. And so it's something that hadn't been done before, right? So it's new. So when Jesus comes into the world, he brings something new to the picture. And so he enlightens every man or brings to the, to the light or brings into focus something. And so the question is, what does he enlighten about? So what God does is he sends his son and he takes it. We've got spotlights up there, but they're not on this morning. But if we were to take those and we were to shine them down here, maybe, maybe put them up on the wreaths up on the front wall, we would say that we are, we are bringing to light or enlightening those wreaths. So we could do that. And so what Jesus does is he comes to enlighten every man and says, well, why does he do that? What does he want us to see that's different from what, what has taken place before? So what does, he, what does he want to show? And so I want to go to a, another passage in the Gospel of John that talks about light. Now I want you to hear this because it's an interesting story. In John chapter 9, here's the story. Let me read it, and then we'll go back and talk about it for just a moment. And as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered in a very interesting way. He says, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he said, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the... Light of the world. Very good. I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to, the, to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. You catch what happened? There's a blind guy sitting on the side of the road and Jesus comes by and as he comes by, the disciples have a question. They say, hey, why is he blind? 
Did his parents do something or something else happen? And Jesus answered in a very interesting way. He basically says, so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Now, you guys can help me with this as well. And, and all y'all, all y'all, I'm working on my Southern, all y'all. How many of you have seen light displays this, this Christmas? It's somebody's house. And so he, it's, I'll, I'll tell you what that looks like from here. It kind of looks like you forgot to put on something this morning. You're like, I'm not raising my hand. But we've, we've, um, we won't talk about that till later. But, but when we talk about light displays, when you go around and look at those light displays, you, you sit there and you go, oh, that's cool. There you go. So, and there are all kinds of different ones. Uh, I, I looked on the internet because I wanted to see some, and I was just kind of amazed by the different kinds of light displays that you would see. But you know, those light displays do not show up in the daytime like they do at night. There's a reason for that. Because light shines in the darkness better. You can see the difference and so when we talk about a light display, we're talking about something that's very different. And what Jesus is talking about here, so that the works of God may be displayed in him, is that, hey, see the difference between something that's dark and something that's light? And so what we're going to do is we're going to see that in this guy. And so Jesus spits on the ground, mixes it up a little bit, and then he takes it and he puts it on the guy's eyes. I don't know about you guys, I don't know about y'all, but that's gross. I mean, I don't want anybody coming along, spinning on the ground, reaching down, taking some of that mud, and putting it on me, anywhere. And, he t and Jesus takes it and he puts it on his eyes. And, and if we just stopped right there, we'd say, dude, that, that's a cruel joke. And then he says, hey, go wash. Of course he said go wash. It's what you do when you got mud all over your face, Right? And so it seems like a cruel joke. It almost seems like something that we, if we were to take the rest of the story out of the mix, we'd say Jesus is bullying this guy. He's come, kind of come by and made fun of him and said, hey, this guy's blind. We can make fun of him. Let's just put some mud on his eyes. He'll never know. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's not exactly like that. He says, he puts the mud on and he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And so this guy goes, he goes to the pool, and the very end of that passage, it says, so he went away, and he washed, and he came back seeing. So Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, and then when he comes back, the guy can see. Well, what does the guy, what's he able to see? He's able to see everything around him. He's able to see the features of people that he had never seen before. He's able to to see what he'd been walking on, what he'd been bumping into, all those kind of different things, this guy can now see. And so he could see physically. But is that what Jesus wanted everybody to see when he talks about displaying the work of God? And so you have to ask the question, what do they, what do they see? And if you take just the blind guy, you say, well, he sees everything around him. But was this just meant for the blind guy? just to see with his eyes. I don't think so. I think what Jesus was talking about is that not only would the blind guy see physically, but there'd be a group of people around him that would see something completely different, that they would see God, that they'd see the work of God. 
the display of God. They'd see the light of God. And Jesus said in verse 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so what would they see? Well, the blind guy sees the trees, and he sees the buildings, and he sees the road. But the disciples in the crowd that are around him, they could see with their eyes, but they were going to see something different. They needed to get a glimpse of God. They needed to see him. So when Jesus says, this guy's blind and we're going to do something here so that, so that people would be displayed the God, they would be displayed who God is. And so the question is, when, when light shines in darkness, what do you see? What do you see? The third thing I want us to understand comes out of 1 John 1, 1 through 3. And it's written by the same guy. And so we hear some of the sim- similar ideas. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested or given, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So God says, hey, I'm going to put it in front of you. You get to touch it. You get to see it. And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What God wants us to see is not, not is only is God light, but he is relational. And then the third part of this is that God is love. That God is love. Because Jesus understood that when we are in our sin, that we exist in darkness. And physical darkness or being blind physically is not near as great as being blind or not being able to see spiritually. And what Jesus was bringing out before them, he said, hey, God is relational and he loves you and he wants to offer forgiveness to you. And he wants you to understand that he sent his son to go to a cross and die for you, but he sent him as a baby. And so what Johnny Fever figured out, what Johnny figured out was there was much more to the Christmas story than just shopping or just Christmas music or any of that kind of stuff. What Johnny Fever figured out was that God had sent his son and was offering forgiveness and love and freedom and peace and joy that could only be explained as we start to see with our eyes something different. That we start to understand that God is light, that he's relational, and that he loves us. So guys, when I, when I say I'm, I'm proud of you and excited about what you shared, it's because what you shared and you know this because you've studied this, what you shared and what we need to hear is that God loves us. And some of us in this room may not have a relationship with Christ. And spiritually, we're just like the guy on the side of the road. We're blind spiritually, and we need somebody to come along with some spit in our eyes spiritually and help us to see. And I think what you guys did in sharing this morning is you helped us to see who Jesus is. You helped us, they helped us to see that we need a Savior. And so this morning, as we get ready to do a time of commitment, I'm going to ask you, 
Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or were you kind of like Johnny Fever sitting here and going, I've been in the dark all this time. And something changed when I started to hear who Jesus is. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to invite you to start that relationship. Say to God, God, I need your forgiveness and I want to come and just give myself. The way we do that here is if you want to make that decision, we're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to sing a song or play a song and, and you have the opportunity to come forward and just say, I want to give my life to Christ. And we'll talk with you for a little while and explain that. Some of you in here may be in a spot where you say, you know, I've been wrapped up in all the Christmas music and the shopping and all that kind of stuff and I've kind of lost sight of who Jesus is and what he means this time of year. And maybe I just need to be refocused and maybe take that spotlight off of other things and for my own life, place that spotlight again on who Jesus is and the glory that came in the form of a baby. And so would you stand? We're going to pray. And if God's leading you to, to make a decision this morning, whether to accept Christ because you've figured out and seen it a little bit like Johnny Fever, or you want to just come and say, God, help me to refocus during this time of year that I may, that I may see Jesus for who he is, the one who is given on my behalf to take on my sin, to go to a cross for me and provide me eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are and for how you love us. Father, we don't want to miss the, the focus of this season with all the other things that are going on around us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be enlightened, that you would help us to see the light of God, and that we would respond in such a way that it would bring you glory. So, Father, work in us. Help us to be bold. Help us to submit and to do the things that you've asked us to do so that you would receive glory and be lifted up. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through the next couple of minutes, if you want to make a decision for Christ or you want to recommit your life to him, I encourage you to do it. We're not going to take a long time, not at all, but it's a very important time. It's a very focused time where we say, God, my life is yours. So as God leads you, you come and make a commitment for Christ.
God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the testimony of the blind man who now sees. Father, Father, we thank you for the testimony of our children that proclaimed you in reality, that you are the light of the world. And Father, I pray that as we go through the rest of this season, that you will continually remind us of who Jesus is and that he would be lifted up as we share with neighbors and enjoy fellowship together. See those displays and be reminded of the display of Christ. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.
In, in this day and time, yeah, I think 700 years is plenty of time for God to do that. And yet, no room. I think there's plenty of time for God to arrange something other than, than something that looks like this for a baby to be placed in. Plenty of time to get something a little bit more comfortable. And yet God orchestrates it just the way He wants it. And so in verses 1 through 3, what we see is God using a government or an empire to bring about what He purposes. He takes something, a government that, that has no affiliation with Him, really has no loyalty to God at all, and uses them to accomplish something to put a couple with child into a city that they needed to be in to fulfill a prophecy. I, I, I want you to think about that for a minute because you never need to negate the, the idea that God can use something that's ungodly to accomplish something that's godly. And that can happen in our day and time. We can look around the globe, pick a country and say, how is God using that country? How is God using that leader? How is God using that circumstance to accomplish what He wants to? God may be doing that in our midst and we may not even realize it. And I'm sure the Roman Empire didn't realize it either. But that's what happened. They order a census. And in a very impractical, inconvenient way, God takes a couple who is pregnant with child, this Mary and Joseph, and sends them on their way to this city where this child is to be born. Now, I don't know how it would work in, in your home, but if I mentioned to Deb, now this would have to go back a little ways, if I mentioned to her while she was great with child, hey, let's walk about 65 miles. I wouldn't get that smile. It would not work exactly like that. But that's, that's what happens. You see, they had to return. And so if we go through here, in those days a decree went out that a census be taken. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. There was a reason he needed to be there, and it had all to do with lineage and family. I know that some of you in here this morning are guests. You're guests because you have family in this area, or you've returned home to this area because of your family. And, I, and I'm just thinking about all the things that take place. The, you, know, you hear about it, the busiest day of travel in the year and all that kind of stuff. Well, people crisscrossing this nation to get back to their home. In fact, we even have songs about it. I'll be home for Christmas, right? So we, we value that. And we want, we'd want to know, as I was getting ready for this, one of the things I did is I went on to Ancestry.com. I thought, hey, well, maybe I'll go to Germany this, this Christmas. You know, you know, one of those kind of things. And you know, I'm not going there, but, but I wanted to check and find out, when did my family get to this nation? Because it, in, it was interesting. And it's kind of a phenomenon. Everybody buys into it. And you go, well, I was, I, I'm of this lineage. And it gives you that whole um, that pie chart that tells you what you're made of, what your DNA expresses. But people go home to their, to their place of homestead or, or their, where their family's from, and that was what was happening here, so they get ready for the journey. 
And in verses 6 and 7, it says, And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. That's a nice way of saying that she was great with child. She was ready. And if Joseph had asked her, are you ready to give birth now? She would say, oh yeah. Because pregnancy for Mary was no different than pregnancy for anybody else. Once you get to a certain spot, it'd be okay for it to happen. I knew I'd have a taker on that one. <laughs> it could just, it'd be okay. Scott hasn't mentioned about traveling long distance by foot, has he? No. <laughs> okay. All right, just checking. And so it came to the time that the, the time was completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. It was a firstborn. That's important. Because we hold to the fact, and we talked about this before, that Mary was a virgin. When she gave birth to, to Jesus, she was a virgin. So this is a firstborn son. He's wrapped in cloths, which we, we would think, well, that's different. And, and, and I've even heard talk about that it was similar to what they would wrap a, a body in when the body died. But in this case, it, it's just part of the tradition. It's what they did. And then laid him in a manger. Took a, a, a normal fixture of where they were and took that baby and, and probably fluffed up some hay and, and maybe made it a little softer for the baby to be placed in. But nobody chooses a feeding trough for a baby. Nobody chooses a place where animals are kept. Nobody chooses 65-mile walk. Nobody chooses that. But if God orchestrates it, it's different. And God put these things together in such a way that it was abnormal, but right on target. When our oldest son was born, the morning that he was born, and we go through this every year at his on his birthday, as we tell this story. Um, Deb usually tells it because, and, and every year it comes with just a little bit more drama, a little bit more fun. But uh, on the morning that Stephen was born, everything was fairly normal, and Deb said, it's time to go to the hospital. And so we got the stuff that we had gotten together, we put it in the car, and it was a, a fairly new car because we moved from two-door to four-door because we were expecting the car seat and all that goes with that. And so we had this fairly new car. And so we packed up and got in there. And lo and behold, some things have to take place before you go to the hospital. You have to go to the bank to get money. Because you never know. You may need some money. Then you have to go by. We went by um, a video rental place and returned a video. We didn't, we didn't make a lot of money, so late fees were out of the question. We got down to the interstate, and, and Deb's like, I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm not in this car, you're not. And so give her the pillowcase and turn up the air. And, you know, it was a new car, so the air worked really well. So we got down to about 40 degrees. And so it was, it was perfect. So we got to the hospital, got there, and, you know, things don't work exactly the way you want to when you show up at the hospital. So there were some issues with the elevator and, and all that kind of stuff. But when we got there, there was an attendant waiting for us. 
And there were people that took care of us in that process. And so for the next six hours or so while we were there, there were nurses that stopped in, people to bring ice chips and all that kind of stuff. None of that happened with Mary and Joseph. It was an inconvenient trip to get to where that child was born. It was an inconvenient place for that child. But it was just as God orchestrated it. Just as he planned it. And so the prophecies of Isaiah picture, we get this dual picture out of that prophecy that says this coming Messiah is coming to rule and reign and be in charge and be in authority. To take over and maybe dispel or, or get rid of Rome as the authority over that land. And then the other picture we have, it's that picture that we read about in Isaiah 53 where it says he comes as a suffering servant. In humility, the Savior of the world comes. It's more than a prophecy. It's a promise. God fulfills His promise. God fulfills His promise in a unique way and orchestrates it in such a way that we can identify with the Savior of the world, the King of kings, in the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of the story that is encapsulated in the, in the whole of your story in reaching out to man to bring salvation. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to realize what is in the promise that you've given. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn.
There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests.
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in the manger.
This true story about Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, the proclamation of the angels, and the visit of the lowly shepherds is the very heart of Christmas. But the announcement of Jesus' birth is not the beginning of the gospel. God had been planning this moment since the, before the beginning of time. The birth of Jesus Christ was to bring glory to God and to make peace between God and those who trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus coming into the world was good news because of why he was coming. An angel revealed that Jesus would save his people from their sins. A Savior had come who would be the perfect sacrifice for sin once and for all. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he will be coming back again. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. For those who trust in Jesus and believe that he can forgive our sin, there is so much more to Christmas and so much more to life. buried 
very different picture. A child born and laid in a manger, pretty much helpless, needing all the care that a normal baby would need, and yet different from every other baby that's ever been born or ever would be born. A child that that would become or was the sacrifice for us. If we look at Luke chapter 2, 
starting at verse 8, what happens in, in the next part of this story is the camera swings from, from the manger scene and the baby lying there with the parents surrounding and rejoicing in a very private, obscure place. The camera swings over to a field outside the city and meets up with some guys that, that we don't really know a whole lot about. We just know their profession. They were shepherds. They were removed from all the hustle and bustle of the city and all the visitors and the crisscrossing to their homes. They, the camera swung over to them and we get to meet them for just a few moments. And something miraculous happens on the hills outside that town. Here's what it says, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And an angel said to them, Do not be afraid or fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which was told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by these shepherds. And then in verse 19 and 20, we see this response to what happens. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. In this passage, what we see as that scene shifts over to the guys in the field, the shepherds, what we see is we see this miraculous thing take place as God orchestrates on a, in another part of the country, another area, He orchestrates something very special. See, God speaks to some shepherds. And of all the people that, would, that a birth would get announced to, shepherds would be the last one on the list. If God were sending invitations to come check out the child, normally it would not go to the shepherds. It would go to royalty. It would go to somebody of prominence. But that's not what happens here. It goes to shepherds. That you may not think much about, but shepherds hold a dear place in the life of the nation Israel because shepherds are those folks that tend the sheep that end up in the temple that become the sacrifice for the people. Shepherds are the ones that God compares good and bad to when we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and then how he describes shepherds in the nation Israel that weren't taking care of the people in Ezekiel 34. 
we see is that God has a, a heart for shepherds. He pulls out from shepherds that guy called Moses who would lead the people out of Egypt. He pulls a leader from, the shep- from shepherds, that young child who would be David, who was from the town of Bethlehem. It would be the one that would lead a nation and whose throne would be set there and, would be, and everybody beyond David would get compared to David. And so God has this place in his heart for shepherds and goes to the shepherds with an announcement. And the shepherds being in the field with their sheep, like every other night, they would gather around, and maybe it was around a campfire, maybe not. It doesn't say, but if you want to use some sanctified imagination kind of stuff, they sat around a campfire and shared stories. Just like every other night, they would watch their sheep and make sure they were safe. On this night, maybe a little bit different, not because anything was happening around them necessarily, but, but maybe in the far distant, they could hear the, the hustle and bustle of the town as so many visitors, visitors had come to that area. So maybe they could hear the faint sounds of movement and, and laughter and music. But as they're sitting there, something happens. An angel appears. I think it's interesting the detail that that God goes to when Luke writes this. He writes through Luke. He says, and suddenly an angel appeared. I don't know about you, but if an angel appears, I don't know how you not do it suddenly. Suddenly an angel appeared. Yeah, well, it didn't fade in. That would be weird. This was weird enough. Suddenly an angel appeared, and the glory shone around him. And if we go back and we think about what it means to be in the presence of God, remember Moses on Mount Sinai? He spent some time with God, and when he came back, his face shone. Can you imagine the shine around the angel as he appeared before the shepherds on that dark night? You've walked outside the city. You've gone out into the country a little bit and looked up at the stars where there's really no light around it. And you can imagine with the shepherds out in that field, just everything is really dark except for the, the sky filled with stars, and suddenly an angel appears. And rightly so, the angel turns around and says, do not be afraid or fear not. I'd want to hear that. Because if an angel shows up and he's there, you know, immediately you go to um, Kiki the other night. She had that line where, where somebody would say something and say, that's bad. No, it's good. No, it's bad. No, it's good. You know, that line. And you could sit there and go, okay, an angel appeared. That's bad. No, that's good. The angel didn't appear to come and wipe them out as shepherds in the field. He came to announce something as a messenger of God that they had not heard before. He announced that today in the city of David, a child would be born for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so the angel shares this. And what's important is the accuracy of the message that the angel brings to these guys. See, it's exactly right. He brings the accuracy of the message, but he also brings an emotion to it. Because he says, for unto you a child is born. And he says, it is joyful that you receive this message. You ought to be glad. Uh, Around Thanksgiving, 
usually Thanksgiving morning, we flip on the TV. And, and we start channel surfing between parades. I don't know if you do that. Kind of check out who's where and all that kind of stuff. Watch some of the, the people as they come through. And we usually end up parking on Macy's. For some reason, it just kind of stays on. And everybody there is all glad to see all the stars that come down the road, all the bands, all the dancers, all that kind of stuff. But they're really not waiting to see any of those. The star of the show is at the very end, right? The star of the show is in the last, the last float that has this, has this sleigh and this guy called Santa. And they wait. And as grand as the, as the procession is leading up to the arrival of that guy, the procession for leading up to seeing the Christ child ought to be that much grander because he is God. Yet it's different. What the angels proclaim is just a glimpse of what we heard about in the last song, that when Jesus returns in all of his glory, it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be bigger than anything you've ever seen. And the angels give us that glimpse as the angel finishes his message to the shepherds. And then the host or the multitude gather around that angel and begin to proclaim and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. They announce something even bigger. See, not only is this child born in the city of David, you need to go check him out, he's the Messiah. But he's come and he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of all our attention and yet laid in something like this. The message of the angels was that this would be for everyone. And so it wouldn't matter what race you were. It wouldn't matter what socioeconomic category you fit into. It wouldn't matter um, who you were, what place of prominence you held, what degree of power that you controlled. This peace that could be had with God was something that was available to everybody. It was announced in Isaiah 42, and again in Isaiah 49. It's repeated again in Luke 2.32 by Simeon, and it's, and it's one of those deals where everybody gets to participate if, if the response to the child is correct. The invitation is given. And so the, the angels give this, and they give particular things to look for. They said, when you go to the city, you will find a baby. That's good. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths. Okay, so far. But they really narrow it down. Okay, say, of all the things you can look for, you need to look for a baby lying in a manger. It's pretty specific. So, so if they ride into Bethlehem or cruise into Bethlehem or whatever they do, how, however they get there, they walk in and they start looking around. They're not looking in the end. They're not looking in places of prominence. They're looking in a place where there's a feeding trough. They're looking, looking in different places for this baby who is born King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Their focus is narrow. 
There's no mistake. When we lived in North Florida, we were given directions to somebody's house. And then what they did is they said, you want to go down this road? And they gave us road names, but at some point road names just stop. And they would say, okay, here's what you need to do. You come down this road about two miles, and when you get to the canopy of trees, you'll go just beyond that, about 100 feet, and you'll see a mailbox. And at that mailbox, you'll turn right, and then you get down to the big oak, and you'll take another right, and then you'll get down another quarter mile, and you'll find our home. It was very specific. And being a city guy, I didn't understand that. I'm like, canopy of trees, what is that? I don't even know what that is. So they're given these specific directions. The, angels gave, the angel gave specific directions to these guys out in the field of what they should look for and how they should find him. And so they do. They find him. They find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And they had a choice, getting there. You see, when the angels proclaimed it to them, it didn't mean that they just got up and went. They had to make a decision before it ever got that far. They had to decide if they were going to accept the invitation of God or not. And a lot of times when we're given the invitation of God, we rationalize the decision to follow God away. You think about it, if you're in that field and you hear the angels proclaim that, they have to make a decision about whether to even go. What are all the reasons that they wouldn't? Well, if they're good shepherds, we read about that, and we mentioned it in John chapter 10, if we talk about a good shepherd, a good shepherd is the door to the sheep. He is the protector. He's the provider. That's how they, were, that's how they measured shepherds. So these guys had to make a choice. And if I'm, the, if I'm them, I could sit there and, and rationally think that if I want my sheep to stay healthy, if I want them to be guarded, then I need to stay right here. And so one of their thoughts may, may be, the sheep may be in danger, danger if I leave, so I must stay. Or the journey may be too difficult. I mean, it, let, let's face it, finding a baby in a manger... How easy is that? And then maybe they just had the thing, had the idea go through their mind, why me? I'm nothing special. I'm just a shepherd out here watching some sheep. I don't deserve to see this. God would never call me to step out of what I'm used to to do something different. And when God asks us to do things, sometimes we approach it the same way the shepherds could have. But the shepherds approach, but the shepherd's answer is completely different. And we must go. We must go see this child that's been told that we've heard about from the angels. It's really a hard thing to wrap your brain around to go see the Messiah laying in a manger. Hard for anybody. It would be hard for shepherds, even hard for Mary and Joseph. And then we get to verse 19, where it says that Mary heard all the things that were going on. 
and considered them or pondered them or treasured them in her heart. She would need that. She would need the security of what she had heard that night as she went down the road because 33 years later, the scene would be much different. Oh, it wouldn't be private and secluded. It wouldn't be in obscurity. It would be out on the side of a hill outside of a city that was bigger and it would have a bunch of people gathered around that cross where Jesus was hanging. She would need what she treasured in her heart from that night. 33 years later, she watched her son die a gruesome death on a cross. What started out to be a rough piece of wood put together in a small fashion where a baby was laid and and covered in cloths and lied gently on top of hay would become a rugged cross. A rugged piece of wood where there would be no cloth or hay to separate the skin from the wood. That's what the baby would face. And so Mary would need to treasure all these things in her heart. Verse 20, it says that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And so Mary quietly holds on to what she had heard and seen that night. The shepherds, on the other hand, take a completely different approach. They heard all this, and they go away just rejoicing and shouting. Have you ever known somebody that, that would get excited, but you could never tell it? We had, we had a friend, and, and we would get in this discussion, and, and it, it could be real joyful. It could be something that made them mad or whatever. And, and we asked them one time because it was one of those things where there was lots of emotion, and everybody in the conversation had something to say about it. And so he just kind of stood there not expressing anything, not on his face, his actions, none of those kind of things. And the question was, Giff, how can you stay so calm? He said, I'm not calm. I'm a raging inferno on the inside. Face never changed. It was boiling up on the inside. He just walked away. That's kind of how he handled it. And so whether it's a a boiling up on the inside or something that comes out in shouts on the outside, our relationship to Christ ought to make a difference in us. The shepherds had this encounter with angels, but more importantly, they had an encounter with the Christ child in the manger. And because of what they had seen and heard, they went away shouting. They boiled up from the inside and said, we've got to tell you. It's not something we can hold in. Too many times, because we may be embarrassed or or it's uncomfortable or we're just not sure, we hold it in. I'm not a shouter at a football game. I hold it in. But there's no reason to hold it in when we're talking about the Christ child. There's no reason to hold back on worship. Along with the angels, we ought to be shouting glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Be worshipped. Be praised. Be honored. Be lifted up. Because it's that child 
that Savior that brings peace. Peace that we can't get any other way. It was the message that the angels brought to the shepherds that peace would be available. And it's a peace that is offered to us. It's peace that we can have through a relationship with Him. So the three questions this morning are, are you ready for Jesus to return? If He were to come back right now, would you be ready? Can you say that you have a peace with God? Ephesians 2 says that we are born as children of wrath. Essentially, he says we are born enemies of God because of sin nature. It's not that God hates us. It's just that God can't be around sin. And so we're born with that. But Paul also writes, he says, but, but we've been given life. We can be a new creation in Christ. The invitation is there, just like the invitation was there to the shepherds in the fields. Come and see the child, experience the child, respond to the child. We can have peace with God. Romans 6.23 says what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's a big deal. The second part of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. So it's not like you can only have this. It's like God gives His Son. The wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. But the gift of God, that which is given, starts out here. That which is given. The gift of God brings eternal life. And so responding to that means turning over our life to Him and saying, God, I want to give you my life, and in return, I want to receive your forgiveness that I don't deserve. And if you're in here and you've never done that, it is really hard for you to say that you are at peace with God. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you've never received Christ as your Savior, today would be the day you do it. It'll make tomorrow much different. It is a decision you will never regret. What I'm afraid of is that some of us will go, it's just Christmas. It's just a holiday. And we'll walk out of here in no more peace with God than when we walked in. Don't be that person. Establish a relationship with Christ by turning over your life to Him. Do that today. Celebrate Christmas with a different perspective, a whole new perspective. The second question is, what is your response rate? If God asks you to do something like he did the shepherds, what's your response rate? God came into Mary's life and and asked her to do something and told her, told Joseph, and what's your response rate? We kind of check those things. We've got a church Facebook page, and it rates our response rate. And so if we were to rate it and say, my response rate on a scale of one to five is what? One being the worst, where I, when I hear from God, I, I really just don't respond. I kind of rationalize things away. Or my, my response rate to God is a five. That if he asked me to do something, I jump at the chance to go do it because it's what God's asked me to do. 
What's your response rate? So some of us need that check, and, and it may be that you come and you pray here, pray at your seat, wherever it is, and you say, God, God, kind of refresh my response rate. Help that to be better so when you ask me to do something, I don't hold back or rationalize the, the question away or the request away, but I do exactly what you want me to do. So God, help my response rate. So the first question, are you ready for Jesus' return? The second question is, what is your response rate? The third question is, are you committed to be part of a local church family? You say, why is that important? Because being committed to a local church family is family. It means that we pray for each other. It means that we encourage one another. It means that we're accountable to one another. And so being part of this church family means that there are responsibilities. It means that when God asks us to do something, we do it together and we accomplish what God's asked us to do. And so I want to ask you, are you part of a church family? And I want to encourage you that if you've never done that, today would be a good day to join, to be part of our church family. And we rejoice with you in that, understanding that you want to reach this community and reach the world for Christ. And you want to do it as part of this group. And God does some amazing things. And we talked about at the very beginning that God orchestrated all of this. I'm convinced that God orchestrated your presence here. You say, I got up on my own. I had my alarm clock set and I got out of bed. But you didn't get here by accident. God has you here because he wants you here. And whether it's a response to one of the questions, whether it's the encouragement of Christmas, whether you came because you needed to refresh the image of Christ in the manger and Christ on the cross, I don't know. But God has you here. And so the question is, if God has you here, what are you here for? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the invitation that you give us to come to faith in you, to refresh the way we respond to you, even to join this fellowship. And yet, Father, every one of us could stay exactly where we're at and pretend like the morning didn't happen, but we cannot turn off your voice. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would be responsive to you and what you ask us to do. As we've looked at this passage, as we get ready to celebrate the gift of Christmas, that you would draw us to yourself, and in so doing, change us. Father, we love you. Be praised by our response to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?